Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. It's often been said that if couples put as much work into their marriage as they do into their wedding day, they'd be happily married for life. Marriage does indeed take work. And while many of us enter marriage thinking that love alone is enough to sustain a happy life together, sadly that is not always the case. Fortunately, there are apostolates like Retrovi to help Catholic husbands and wives navigate those inevitable rough patches. And joining us to talk about Retrovi's work in the Archdiocese of Baltimore are husband and wife Michael and Teresa Logonegro. Michael and Teresa, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. For those who may be unfamiliar with Retrovi, tell us a little bit about this apostolate. Uh, thank you for having us this morning. Uh, Retrovi started in 1977 in Quebec, Canada. The original program was in French, uh, hence the name Retrovi, which is a French word meaning rediscovery. The program is a peer-based ministry that provides help for couples all over the world who live with the disappointment and pain of marriage problems. Mm-hmm. And how does the um, how does the apostle work? Well, it actually identifies the multiple stages of marriage, and we look at it as four stages: romance, disillusionment, misery, and awakening, which is the final stage. But just let me walk through the individual stages quickly. The romance stage is exactly what you would imagine. It's everything's fantastic. Um, the slight faults and little idiosyncrasies that each of the partners have in a marriage are kind of overlooked, and they're often looked at as uh, cute or quirky habits. Um, But when you get into the disillusionment stage, some of those cute little habits aren't so cute anymore for one or both of the couples. And oftentimes what happens is when they reach that stage, many couples give up early in their relationship, and it ends up in separation or even divorce. Um, If they do make it to the third stage, which is misery, that's when one or both of the partners in the marriage often just kind of resign themselves to being unhappy, and they'll struggle, and they'll still try to work on marriage perhaps, but they won't necessarily put in the, um, the long-term goal of really what we're trying to achieve, which is the fourth stage of awakening. And Many couples never really make it to that stage simply because they don't have the tools to get to that stage. Uh, Retrovigs giving the couples the tools that they need to reach this stage and discover what they had originally back in the romance stage and when they were in their early stages of dating. Um, The program is actually taught by volunteer couples have gone through all four of the stages and learned to turn their marriages around. Now, for a lot of um, Catholic couples, before they get married, obviously, if they're going to get married in the Church, they go through what the Church calls a pre-cana program. how is Precana different from Retrovi, and would you recommend Retrovi for couples who are considering marriage? I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for couples uh, considering marriage. It's geared more towards couples who are in the uh, misery or disillusionment stage where they're looking for additional help. Uh, if you remember the original uh, Marriage Encounter Weekend and Marriage Encounter program that started um, and was very popular during back in the 70s, and to this day is still uh, fairly popular. That is more along the lines of a straightforward approach geared on communication 
and that is what pre-cana, one of the things that pre-cana teaches. Mm-hmm. Pre-cana is geared more towards a couple who has not yet been married and reached some of the stages that we're talking about here. Most of those couples going through that are still in the romance stage of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So what are the greatest obstacles, in your opinion, and your experience for couples who um, may not um, seek help um, like that provided by Retrovi? Well, knowing basically that you're not alone and a willingness to seek out help is what it's it's really all about. A lot of couples get involved in relationships, and when trouble hits and everybody who's been married or involved in any sort of a relationship knows that trouble does come, the the trick is to understand that you're not alone that's out there. It's kind of like having a conversation with an individual, whether it be a friend or a coworker, and feeling like you're the only person going through that situation, and then when you're going through the conversation with them, you realize that they're going through the same thing all at once. And if you're talking in a group setting, you realize half the couples there are in that same type of situation. But knowing that you're not alone and willingness to seek out help is really one of the the obstacles that a lot of couples never really get to. They decide to work harder, but not necessarily smarter. Okay. So you've obviously spoken to a lot of people whose marriages are, you know, hit a rough patch, so to speak. Are there common issues that seem to, to, to you know, be the prominent ones that, that kind of get a marriage off track? The biggest one, I would say, would be communication and just not having the tools to relate to each other and move through to a different stage. I mean, I'll use the example, and this is probably a good example, uh, where if you don't have the tools to succeed in a relationship, it's really tough to work harder at at that success. So think of it as a carpenter who's trying to build a house. If he doesn't have a hammer, which is his key tool, it, it would be really, really difficult for that carpenter to succeed in building the house if he's pounding nails with his forehead. And that's what sometimes a uh, difficult or a challenging relationship can feel like for a lot of these couples when they're continuing to just try and work harder. Some couples, like myself and Teresa, we've tried to talk through our different issues, and oftentimes what it results in is just many, many multiple hour-long conversations and discussions and sometimes heated discussions that don't necessarily result in success or progress moving forward. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the, um, the fact that, there's, um, that, that people understand when they go through this process that they're not alone. Do you find that, that couples find comfort in the shared experiences of other couples who are dealing with the same kinds of challenges in their marriage? They do, but it's, it's an interesting scenario. Before I was involved and before I went through my first Retrovi weekend with Teresa, when we had gotten involved, we didn't know completely what the program was all about. And what we do typically on a, an original Retrovi weekend is the couples who are going there to participate for the first time, they're actually being taught certain techniques and certain tools they're given to communicate. Now, they are hearing very, very uh, difficult, gut-wrenching, painful stories from the presenting couples, as we call them. And it's important to understand and to relate to those couples that they are not alone and that they are going through some of the same situations in many cases. But it's not group therapy. We don't sit in what I jokingly call a circle singing songs. The communication and the sharing is basically from the presenting couples to the the participating couples. It's more about giving them the tools so they can share with each other in their individual sessions so the married couples who are struggling can move forward on their own, but the, it's giving them the tools to do so. Mm-hmm. 
seems that marriage may be at a crossroads right now. We um, we hear all the time about um, the fact that fewer fewer people are choosing to get married. Um, divorce rate r- remains high. Um, we've seen in many states and even at the federal level that that the definition of marriage itself is is being changed. Uh, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I think it's society in you know in general. Society today does not make it easy for a marriage to succeed. Um, I'm not sure if I would call it you know a crossroads, but you know yes, the marriage rate um, is declining and the divorce rate you know, is remaining high in today's society. I think the interesting part is why many, while many think that divorce or separation um, is a solution for an unhappy marriage, unhappy relationship, but when you look at the overall happiness of those making the decisions to divorce or end the the marriage, um, you have to look at the priorities of those persons um, and those individuals. So, um, I would say that we are more at a crossroads as far as the priorities of the individuals and couples, what's most important for them in their relationship, their marriage, and their family. On a practical note, does Retrovi operate through parishes or independently, or um, how, really how is it set up here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore? We're strictly a volunteer ministry that is supported primarily through um, donations Um it's Catholic in nature, but it's open to all married couples regardless of their faith. Gotcha. And what's the what would you say is the number one piece of advice that you would have for married couples or for couples about to get married um, that may be experiencing some of the challenges that we've discussed today? I'd say the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, there's quite a few marriages, including ours, that nearly end in divorce because the couples just simply don't have the, the tools to thrive. And as I said before, the working harder is not necessarily the only solution. While that is a good solution and it does take a lot of hard work to maintain and have a marriage thrive, it also takes a lot of knowledge and tools in order to be able to do that. Using that, that carpenter example again, not having the right tools to do the job is a recipe for disaster. And it sounds like Retrovi is a great uh, resource for people to um, to avail themselves of. Um, how can people learn more about Retrovi here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore? The Actually, two ways. The best way is to actually go to our website at www.helpourmarriage.com or simply locally in Maryland and D.C. community. Call our telephone number at 443-400-7017. So if you know somebody who could benefit whether it be yourself or another couple, please reach out to us. Michael and Teresa Laganagro, thanks so much for being with us, and thanks for your work uh, with uh, Retrovi. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. That heroin deaths have surpassed gun homicides, according to 2015 data from the CDC, is just one piece of evidence of the growing epidemic of opioid abuse. Locally, the numbers are grim. For the first three quarters of 2016, 730 died heroin-related deaths within the nine counties in Baltimore City that comprise the Archdiocese of Baltimore's territory. That's a 75% increase from the previous year. As always, the numbers don't tell the whole story. Through institutions, programs, and individuals, the Archdiocese is bringing hope to the suffering. 
Addiction is a powerful thing, says Jay Haywood, a 57-year-old Baltimore woman, but, she went on to add, to be loved is the best high in the world. Addicted to alcohol and heroin since the 1980s, Haywood's life turned for the better in 2014 when she entered Marion House, a rehabilitative housing program for homeless women and their children based in Baltimore's Waverly neighborhood. Haywood's story is available at catholicreview.org as part of a larger piece about opioid addiction. In the same piece, we meet Jim and Helen Kurtz, who are navigating their daughter's struggle with addiction with the help of Families Anonymous, one of several avenues of support available through the robust substance abuse ministry at St. Margaret Parish in Bel Air. What we have learned at Families Anonymous is to share, said Helen, tell your family, tell the people you work with. Realistic but hopeful, Jim and Helen give their daughter daily conversation, unconditional love, support, and prayers. These stories and more at catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. There are many things wrong with youth sports in America today, from the mistreatment of officials to the win-at-all-cost mentalities of some coaches and parents. That said, there are also some really wonderful byproducts of youth sports, including the opportunity for personal development and growth. Here today to discuss his book, Youth Sport and Spirituality, Catholic Perspectives, is Father Patrick Kelly, Associate Professor of Theology and Religious Studies at Seattle University. Father Kelly, thanks for uh, joining us today all the way from Seattle. Thank you, Sean. Uh, so what prompted you to write this book? Well, um, the idea came because we, myself and all of the contributors, had been involved in conferences uh, for youth coaches for many years, for maybe over 20 years or so. And, um, you know, I, I was I- impressed with how much the youth coaches seemed to get out of these conferences from the talks that people were giving. And, and I thought, well, it might be a good idea to uh, gather, you know, the different kinds of talks that people were giving into one volume that could be made uh, more widely available. So that was really the, uh, you know, the context within which the book came to be. And is the the primary audience, would you say, is, uh, you know, coaches for youth sports? Or I'm sure there's a benefit to people other than the coaches themselves. Yeah, it's a, maybe a unique book because it <laughs> that is the primary audience. Uh, and the And the context within which it grew up was also Catholic, so it was tended to be um, people working in Catholic schools. Um, 
but I think it has a broader uh, appeal to anybody who's a youth coach. Um, uh, but not only that, you know, people who work in youth ministry, um, uh, I think uh, college students who are going into education, you know, it could be something used, parts of it in, in courses for Catholic education. Uh, but parents might also find it helpful. Um, and then anybody who's interested in sport, you know, and spirituality. So it's, it potentially has a broad I think, uh, you know, broad readership. So what are some of the topics that uh, these talks uh, focus on? Well, the main thing that the book uh, tries to uh, focus on is how does, you know, how can sport participation for young people lead to their uh, well-being, their growth and development, openness to transcendence? Um, So uh, in the first half of the book, the, the chapters are written by people from academic disciplines, psychology, uh, philosophy, moral development, theology, and, um, and they're trying to, re- you know, reflect on that question from those perspectives. And then the second half is written by people who work directly with young people, whether in CYO or coaches, high school coaches in Catholic schools, um, and also in one, uh, one independent school. So they're writing from a more practical perspective, you know, based on many years of experience of working with young people, what they found helpful in terms of working with the, their teams and uh, in in this regard. So, you know, the I mean, from a uh, Christian perspective, the I guess the fundamental thing that we're looking at is what <laughs> what leads to life. You know, Jesus says, uh, and it's good to reflect on during this Advent season. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So. We're trying to understand what it is that leads to life in this, um, you know, this aspect of, of human experience. Mm-hmm. I, I might say, too, that there are, are two chapters at the beginning. One of them addresses the question, what is sport, by Dan Dombrowski, and he's, he's a, a classical you know, philosopher, so he's looking at the Greek tradition. And then I do an overview of how Catholics have engaged with sport through, throughout history and how that was related to how they understood the human person, the body, and uh, what's virtue, and, and their attitudes toward play and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I thought it was interesting, um, the, the contributors all, uh, you know, give their positions, I assume, independent of each other, um, you know, and so not all their, not all of them are going to agree with each other uh, simply because you know, with human nature and just the fact that they're, they're not all sitting around a table and having this conversation. So issues like whether sports builds positive character traits or whether all children should receive equal playing time, there's going to be, you know, a wide array of opinions on things like that. Is that right? Yes, and, and um, uh, the chapter I just mentioned by Dan Nabrowski, he he's a little bit more, that's the first chapter in the book, um, what, he's less optimistic about, let's say, the, the, the capacity of youth sport or sport to develop character. He points out that it usually tends to reveal character, whereas other authors, Mike McNamee has a chapter called Youth Sport and the Virtues, where he's makes a very compelling case, I think, and, and uh, interesting case for the way youth sport can develop virtues because it has to do with habit formation um, and, uh, and, you know, in the best possible scenario, 
good role models that teach us how to be, you know, how to be a human being and to make good choices uh, uh, and things like that. So there are differences, which I think is a good, um, I think it's a good thing to have in a, in a volume like this. It also, allow, you know, and, and it allows the reader to begin thinking himself or herself about these kinds of questions and to come up with their own uh, take on, on them. Mm-hmm. So um, how did youth sports get to where it is today, and can it become this, you know, vehicle for personal growth that you hold out in the book and that some of the contributors in the book hold out? I think one of the things that's happening in, you see this over the last 30 years especially, um, is that youth sport is starting to be regarded maybe more so for boys but but also for girls increasingly um, in an instrumental sort of way, meaning it's kind of, it's being viewed as a means to an end uh, and this is a dynamic that's going on in the culture in general. So it, it's increasingly viewed as a means to a college scholarship, for example, you know, so, um, or for more ambitious people for, you know, to get a, a career, participate, out of it, right? Right, career out of it. Um, so money, status in the society. Uh, and the, one of the problems with that and this is a theme that's touched on by several authors in the book, is that the intrinsic value, you know, of, the, of playing just and, and enjoyment, which is really the, that's the number one reason that young people give for participating, is because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also the number one reason that they give for dropping out, which they're dropping out of organized sports in increasing numbers uh, because they say it's not fun anymore. And um, so... I think this trend tends to it 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 um, undermines something that's fundamental about youth sport. And the authors in the book highlight the fact that the growth of young people is actually related to their enjoyment. You know, so they when they're enjoying the activity, when it has intrinsic uh, value, uh, that's when they actually uh, grow and and flourish. So. There's a connection between play in that sense, you know, playing sport, and and the well-being and and growth of the young people. Um, you know, there are there are always uh, temptations. There are always uh, uh, difficulties in any human aspect of human experience. This is one of the this is one of the problems with youth sport today. It's only human beings, you know, that reflect on what's going on, if, that take the time to think about what is it that's going on, what are the value orientations that can actually make a difference so that maybe, that, so that the youth sport has a chance to become something that leads to the growth of the young people. That's kind of the, that's the reason for the publication of the book. You know, you might, this is the first book of its kind, so it, it's odd that in the Catholic context, especially since sport plays such a huge role in parishes mm-hmm. and Catholics, uh, elementary schools, high schools, that we haven't thought about this from the standpoint of faith. You know, we haven't been reflecting upon it. And if we don't, then the tendency is for things just to drift, you know, in the direction of the wider culture, and that may not always be for the best of the young people. Um, there are um, CYO basketball leagues um, that will have games all over the place uh, this coming weekend, including right here in Baltimore. Do you have any you know, one, two, three, uh, 
concrete ideas or suggestions for either coaches or the operators of those leagues to try and institute some of the things that are brought up in this book? Um, I would say this connects to what I was just saying. Uh, You know, most fundamentally... uh, Keep it fun. For for coaches and and parents, uh, the kids want to engage in this because they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just, I'll just say fun doesn't necessarily mean or play doesn't necessarily mean frolicking and not trying right. you know, to win and that kind of thing. Um, we, we, young people and everyone, we enjoy ourselves actually when we're engaged in a challenging activity that requires skills. So uh, play is not also not um, conflict with competition. So, so I just want to want to be clear about that. But there are ways to make practice and even the experience of participating in games enjoyable uh, uh, for young people. Uh, and I think that's important to to for coaches and parents to keep uh, keep a focus on. The other thing, you know, again, this goes back to what the main theme of the book is. The other thing is just uh, to keep in mind that the person is more important than sport. So that's a, this is a fundamental aspect of John Paul II's teaching about sport. He keeps coming back to this theme. It's a basic theme in Catholic social teaching, the dignity of the human person. And uh, John Paul II said, sport exists to serve the person. The person doesn't exist to serve sport. So uh, therefore, parents, coaches, should keep this front and center, you know, and then reflect on, well, how is the participation of this, of my child or of the young people on my team, how is it serving them? You know, how does it lead to their integral development, to their well-being, sense of belonging to something larger than themselves? Um, uh, so I think that's also something very fundamental to keep in mind. Father Patrick Kelly uh, is the author of Youth, Sport, and Spirituality, Catholic Perspectives. Thank you very much for writing this book, for putting it together, and for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.